Welcome to our worship from Seal Church, led by me, Canon Anne Labar. The hymn which ends the service is sung by the choristers of St Martin in the Fields. During the season of Christmas and Epiphany, we remember that Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. His name reminds us that even though we may be separated from one another, we are united in God, who holds us all in his hands. And so we pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty and ever-living God, clothed in majesty, whose beloved Son was this day presented in the temple in substance of our flesh, grant that we may be presented to you with pure and clean hearts by your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first reading is from the book of the prophet Ezekiel, in chapter 43, beginning at the 27th verse. When these days are over, then from the eighth day onwards the priest shall offer upon the altar your burnt offerings and your offerings of well-being, and I will accept you, says the Lord. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east, and it was shut. The Lord said to me, This gate shall remain shut, it shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it, therefore it shall remain shut. Only the prince, because he is a prince, may sit in it to eat food before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gate, and shall go out by the same way. Then he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple, and I looked, and lo! The glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord, and I fell upon my face. And now a reading from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, 
but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. The Gospel is taken from Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was of a great age, having lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. The official feast day for Candlemas is 2nd February. Obviously, this is the Sunday nearest. And the Church of England rules for the Christian year state that it is a principal feast day, like Ash Wednesday or Ascension Day, for example. Yet, it is one with which we're often less familiar. We may also know it as the presentation of Christ in the temple. Some of you probably know that Jewish law considered a woman unclean for 40 days after she had given birth to a boy, and even longer after the birth of a girl. During this time, the mother would have been excluded from the temple. At the end of this, they were brought to the temple to be purified as required under the law set out in the book of Leviticus. And they also brought the child to present him to God and give thanks, after which the woman 
would be permitted to join in worship once again. As we strive to make this church and the wider church a place that is welcoming to everyone, it's challenging to consider how the temple at the time of Jesus excluded so many through its various rules and how we must guard against this. Traditions related to Candlemas grew around light, perhaps the light of Christ revealed in the temple, mixed with pagan recognition that we're moving away from the season of darkness towards spring equinox. You can't have failed to notice how, it all, how it's already light earlier in the mornings, together with some of the stunning sunrises we've had this week. The date was adopted as a day when the church would bless all its candles for the year. Obviously, even more important, when there was no electricity, hence the name Candlemas. In our readings today, both Ezekiel and Luke tell us how temple rituals and Jewish law are followed. What we heard today from Ezekiel was just part of a tour that he's taken on, which is a property lover's dream. Go back to chapter 40 and you'll find a man whose appearance shone like bronze, fulfilling a vision for Ezekiel in great detail of what the perfect temple will be. And there's no precast steel and cladding system in sight. We have precise measurements, perfectly balanced pilasters, windows with shutters, double doors with cherubim and palm trees carved on them, and rules for where the priests could go to make offerings. Our reading from Ezekiel resonates with our gospel reading. God comes to the temple and fills it with his glory, and we hear that Ezekiel falls on his face. What else could he do? How would we react when all we hoped to be true, built our very existence around, longed, worked and prayed for, was made real before our very eyes? In Luke's Gospel, as Christ is presented in the temple, there's a strange mix of ordinary and extraordinary. It's quite likely that this routine ritual was being observed by several couples with their babies at the same time, as we sometimes do with christenings. Every parent feels that their child is special, but one is clearly more special than the others, who are somewhat upstaged by what happens next. The extraordinary is made real by Simeon and Anna, and Luke gives them credibility and respect, a sort of character reference describing Simeon as righteous and devout and stating that the Holy Spirit rested upon him. We hear how Anna worshipped in the temple with fasting and prayer day and night. They're people of a good age and there's a sense that they are the people who could be relied upon to recognise the Lord's Messiah if anyone could. They had been waiting, watching, longing and preparing patiently over many years. Yet, would this have been what Simeon was expecting? 
Probably not. But we can imagine that his mind is open to God in all forms and possibly there is some recalibration and prayerful reflection before Luke tells us what happened next. Like many things in life, it's only as we learn and experience more and more that we come to realise how much we don't know. So Simeon, a total stranger, takes Jesus from Mary's arms and begins to proclaim loudly about him, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Anyone who has ever held a little baby knows what a lovely feeling it can be, but also how you have a sense of care, a responsibility to support the baby's neck and hold it safely, especially when it's not yours. It can be a real-life insight into the character of God. Things like this help explain really hard-to-understand stuff like getting our head around the vulnerability, the humility of form. Perhaps we should reflect on this next time we hold a baby. We have no fear of them and find them approachable, unlike some lofty, authoritative figure. It follows that it is possible that Mary could have trusted us with her baby as well. Like Ezekiel, Simeon and Anna realise that God has filled the temple. Simeon's reaction is to praise him. To praise God, light and hope have been brought into the darkness. He's effectively saying that nothing greater could happen in his life to the extent that he was now ready to accept death peacefully as a fulfilled and joyful man. And Anna starts sharing the good news with those seeking the Messiah. As well as being amazed, Jesus' parents must have been disturbed and frightened to hear that many will oppose their son and that struggle and pain were in the future. Of course, the words of Simeon have been incorporated into our ritual worship, heard regularly here at Evensong as the Nunc Dimittis from the Latin, Now You Dismiss. There's encouragement here for us to keep a patient faith alive, even when it feels that we can't see the light, to maintain eyes open to seeing God's love in human bodies often passed by and sometimes apparently invisible to others. Ezekiel, Anna and Simeon have not stumbled across God by chance. It's clear that their faithful longing to see God glorified is all that matters to them. Paul's letter challenges the Corinthians to consider whether that's the case for them. Did I hear a voice protesting? What, he didn't write this for couples to have read at their wedding ceremony? I'm sure we have all heard the reading time and again at weddings. It's even suggested as an appropriate wedding reading by the Church of England on their website, so I guess it must be okay. Certainly, 
If the couple in a marriage can share love which is patient and kind, which rejoices in the truth, which is not irritable or resentful, then they're off to a great start. It might also help to consider that eventually many of us come to accept you can also find love in your partner in the most mundane of tasks or even when they are irritable and annoying. Though it may be worth reminding the other that love does not insist on its own way, just sparingly. The words tell us that love isn't only for romantic times, but why it matters, what it can look like, and why God's love is everlasting and indestructible. Few wedding days will allow time to reflect on the fuller meaning of Paul's words. Perhaps it isn't the time to accept that, because of love, Mary's soul was pierced by a sword. Because of love, Jesus died on a cross. And because of love, it's inevitable that each of our hearts will be broken. Yet still, we find there is nothing greater. Paul is telling the church in Corinth that it is God who doesn't insist on his own way, that it is Jesus who bears all things on our behalf. And it's time for the church to remember this, come together and reflect this love amongst themselves. Last week, we heard St Paul and then Aidy speak about the diverse members that make up the body of Christ, reminding us that there's in excess of 40,000 Christian denominations. And it follows that God's love is for all, even to the extent that it connects us to those we have loved that have died. And Simeon understood this when he said that God's salvation was for all, not just for the Jews. You may not agree with me, but it feels that St Paul's words on love are in fact better suited to a funeral than a wedding. Paul points us to a time when we will all see what perfect love looks like. Not the blemished and partially obscured version we know in our earthly relationships. The love in which God knows us will be known to us when we see him face to face. The challenge of Candlemas then is a challenge to find the presence of God in our midst, to look for his love at work amongst us, at home, at work, at school, maybe even in our church. Amen. And so we bring our prayers to God and we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Christ, who by his incarnation gathered into one things earthly and heavenly, fill you with peace and goodwill, and make you partakers of the divine nature. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.